several years ago. I had this idea, and man, it sounded so fantastic. We were raising money in Kali, one of our mission offerings, uh, for an orphanage. And so in my mind, I thought, what can we do? We, we want to raise several thousand dollars for this orphanage, and it's going to take a lot. We want to do something to motivate. And I thought, you know what? We're trying to raise money. I need to lose some weight. So we came up with this idea called Fat for Orphans. Are any of y'all here when we did this? Good, because it's really embarrassing. And I, I can now spin the story so I look much better. No, you weren't there. Let's just forget that you were. We're going to spin the story well. So really, I thought, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll get, I need to lose weight. It'll give me some accountability. We'll have families or students pledge towards the orphanage for every pound that I lose. But then we had to, we had to amp it up. And I said, any week when I weigh in, if I haven't lost weight, then I'll put $50 in each week. And so that'll be a motivation for me to lose weight. And so every Wednesday, we had a scale, and we said, we'll use this scale every time, and this will be the official thing. I have to lose at least something. And like the first two weeks, like any diet went like gangbusters. It was fantastic. You know, that first week, if you're a guy, if you've ever tried to lose weight, you know, you lose like five pounds the first week, and your wife's like mad at you, you know, like, how did you do that? And so I'd lost some of that, and the next week I lost a little bit, well, getting like confident. And I'm like, I can do some jalapeno ranch. I can do some bluebell. I'm losing. And so Wednesday at about 4 o'clock, I go and step on the scale. I don't have $50 for this, you know, event. Step on the scale, and I'm like three-tenths of a pound or four-tenths of a pound over, and I've got to lose. So I've got to get six-tenths of a pound. This is, this is true. Had you come up that Wednesday night, I was supposed to weigh in at 7, at like 6.40, I was running these stairs right here. I was like, I can't afford the 50 bucks. I got, I got to lose something. And kids found out, and they were like, that's cheating. I'm like, it's not cheating. The rule is I just have to lose. I'm like coming into Collide, I'm all sweating. And I made it, like two-tenths of a pound. Whoo! And then I had to kill that program pretty quickly because I was like, I, I, can't, I can't afford it. If you've ever, like, tried to lose weight, weigh-in day. Weigh-in day can make or break your week, can it? Like, because weigh-in day is when you step on the scale and you go, yes. Man, I, the sacrifice of the bluebell when I went to lunch with all my friends and I ordered the half order, when I went to the Mexican food restaurant and I pushed the chips away and I said, I'm not going to do that, when I drank Diet Pepsi because that was all that was there, or I drank water, it's, it was worth it. The hours that I spent during the week on the treadmill or at the gym, man, it was worth it. But if you step on that scale and you've done all of those things and that scale goes up, it can be like one of the most demoralizing like days of your week. Like, I did all of that for nothing. I mean, we, we want to see when we've committed to something, we want to see progress. We want to see that we're going in the right direction. That, that's true for everybody, not just believers and not just in weight loss. The people you work with that don't have a relationship with the Lord, they, they want to know more about their jobs, about their careers, about parenting, than they did last week. They, they want to be able to do more. They want to be more, even though that may be defined differently than you do as a, as a follower of Christ. But, and as believers, though, we, we probably or should want those things too. We want to be able to know more about the Word, do more. We want to be more. We want to be closer. We want to be growing up. That, that, that is, that's our goal, or it should be. And we get these ideas of how we do that. And they're kind of subconscious. They've been put into us maybe by our parents, our grandparents. And so we've kind of bought into the lie, if we just show up at church, then I'm going to grow spiritually. 
Or even if I just read the Bible, I'm gonna grow spiritually. If I memorize some passages of scripture, I'm gonna grow spiritually. Now, all three of those things and, and, and some of the other ideas we might have put into our, our description for us of how we're gonna grow are, are essential. Gro- growth does come from being involved. Growth does come from reading the word. Growth does come from memorizing scripture, or it can. I guess I didn't say it does, it can. But that's not the only thing. That's not, the, that's not what really pushes us forward in growth. And I'll give you an example. Uh, you can go to this church and meet people. Uh, you can go to just about any church, and you can find some people. In fact, some churches, you can find a lot of people. They've been going to church for 60 or 70 years. And they've forgotten more about the Bible than you've ever known. And they can quote passages of Scripture. But then you start hearing them talk about the world and their neighbors and other generations, and you quickly understand that their attitude towards the people and the world is not the same attitude that God has. They've been in church all their life, and they know the Bible, and they can quote it, but their life does not reflect God. They could kill anybody at Bible trivia, but, but the way they love their neighbor is absent. You know, the Prince of Grenada a long time ago was the heir to the Spanish throne. And in a political move, he was put into a, a prison in Madrid that they called uh, the Place of the Skull. And he was put in solitary confinement for 30, well, he was there for life, but he lived 33 years in solitary confinement with nothing other than one book, and they gave him a Bible. So here's a guy who has nothing to do for 24 hours a day but, but read the Bible. When he died 33 years later, as they were cleaning out the cell, they found things that he had, t- he had, a na- had found a nail and he had etched into the soft stone inside the prison. Some of the things that he had learned during his 33 years. Here's what was written. That Psalm 118.8 is the middle verse in the Bible. That Ezra 7.21 contains all of the letters of the alphabet except for J. The Esther 8, 9 is the longest verse in the Bible. And that there is no word or name in the Bible that is more than six syllables. No, no evidence that he ever made a decision to accept the words of Jesus and who he said he was. No evidence that he became a follower of Christ. No evidence that he repented from sin and even inside that jail cell decided to make Jesus Lord. 33 years with the Bible, a lot of Bible trivia. So, reading your Bible is absolutely essential. But reading your Bible, gaining knowledge, isn't enough. And so we, we, we're trying to figure out what is, the, what is the perfect formula in which to grow. How many, how many Sundays do I need to be at church during a week? And how many verses do I need to know? How much time in the Bible? How many hours do I need to listen to Caleb? And as I mix all these things together, what's that perfect formula so that I'll, I'll start growing? Well, I want to submit to you that you talk with your families this week about this truth, that it is much simpler than that. And so I've put it this way as a bottom line. If you want to write it down, you're going to see it in the yap. This is what your kids are going to hear over and over. When it comes to growing our faith, doing and not knowing is what makes a difference. It's not about how much you know, but rather what you do with what you know. 
So go to Matthew chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this week. In Matthew 7, we get to the end of, a, of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus is teaching and the disciples are recording or as, as much as they can, or Matthew has recorded it or pulled it from some other documents that people recorded. And so we see this, this iconic sermon that Jesus preaches, and, and this entire sermon through several chapters gives us a picture of what vibrant faith, what a big faith, we talked about last week, what it looks like. And it's interesting that as you read through this Sermon on the Mount, there is not so much deep theology as there is application. I mean, there's, it's as if Jesus is not so concerned about people being able to fill in every blank in the Bethmore Bible study. He's not so concerned about them checking the list that they have their offering. Remember those old offering envelopes if you grew up Baptist where you could check Sunday school, check worship, check. He's not as interested in checking all the boxes as he is our life reflecting a change because of a relationship with him. That's why he says things like this. If someone comes up and asks you, especially if it's a Roman soldier context, a Roman soldier could come up to somebody and make them carry their bags for a mile. If somebody comes up to you and says, go a mile with me, you go too. That's application, not the theology behind it. Jesus said, if, if somebody has a need, you go and meet it. If somebody's offended you, you give them forgiveness. And you read through this, this, again, this iconic sermon, and it's all about how I live my life. It's about what I do more than what I know. And so this week, we're leaning into this idea that, that doing is more important than knowing. And I don't want to say that knowing is not important. And don't hear me say that reading the Bible, being involved is not important. We talked about that last week. That is essential. But if we really are going to grow up, we have to move from the point where I know all about the Bible to I'm actually doing the Bible. So I want you to look in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. This is the end of this Sermon on the Mount. This is what, what Jesus finishes up with. After this, the next thing you know, we see him uh, going on and where we were last week when he meets the centurion. The faith, and we see that faith of centurions right after this. In Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus finishes up this sermon. He says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let me read it to you again. Everyone then who hears these words, which is important, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So you can't, you can't walk away saying, I've heard, I've heard everything that Jesus said. I've got all the sermons. I've heard them all. Showed up, did my time, and expect to grow. You can't just attend church, kids collide, kids FCA or Young Life, and think because I showed up, I am going to grow spiritually. Showing up may help you, but it is not going to be the end all of turning you into a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like nutrition. You know, if you not just weight loss, if you're trying to eat better, do well, you can know, you can know all about nutrition. You can hire a nutritionist. You can get books and fill your bookshelf full of books about exercise and dieting, and, and you can read them all. You can run down and sign up for Orange Theory 
and Gold's Gym all at the same time. That that doesn't mean you're going to be healthy. Reading the books, having a membership, knowing that this food is bad and this food is good will not make you a, a, a picture of health. It's the doing. It's when you decide broccoli over tortilla chips. You know, that, that is the application of the knowledge is where you start to find you becoming a healthy person who understands nutrition. So I have a friend and a good friend of mine. She's, she's a minister. Um, she's very vocal, very vocal on social media. And when the Charlottesville thing happened a few weeks back, uh, she posted several things, as, as a lot of people did. And she posted a thing and, uh, about how Charlottesville was wrong and we need to, the church needs to do something. The church can't be silent. And I agree with her 100%. But I sent her a message. We had a private message conversation on Facebook. And I, and I said, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I believe that there is some intrinsic racism still in America today. And I believe that intrinsic racism or any racism is not a picture of what the Scripture says. I believe there's some things that we have to do to walk better with people who have different cultures than I do, that look different than I do. But so I said, but posting, posting something on Facebook that 99% of your friends already agree with, and the other 1% are not going to go, oh, man, I read her Facebook post. I've been wrong all of this time. That is not going to happen. So that, I said, that, you're, that's like spitting in the wind. And she said, she said, I disagree. Christians have to stand up. The church has to, to stand up and do something. I said, I agree with you there too. But I asked her this. She, she's in a, a church out in West Texas. I said, does your church in West Texas, does the demographics of your church match the demographics of your city? She said, no. I said, nor does mine. But let's start there. Let's start, there, let's start in our neighborhood and let's start in our church. If we want to talk about racial reconciliation, if we want to talk about, uh, you know, the biggest part of racism, I mean, you have fringe people that grew up hating. That, you know, they, that's your clans members and things like that. Their grandparents hated, their parents hated, and they grew up in a culture of hate. By and large, most racism comes from ignorance. There's people in this room, and I don't know who you are, I'm not like, you and you and you. But there's people in this room that, that we would go, I'm not a racist, but the things we do and say, borderline on that from time to time. Not because you hate, because you're ignorant. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I, I mean growing up in Colleen, Texas, you could, watch, you could watch it happen inside the clean mall. You'd watch some African-American young men dressed in their culture. At that time, it was like bright colored, puffy coats and the certain shoes and Gold, you know, back in the 90s and some gold necklaces. And, and they'd be walking down the mall hallway and you'd see like 60-year-old white people like with fear in their eyes go to the other side to get as close to the Chick-fil-A as they could. You know, like as, as, if Jesus is here, he's there. And they cross the hall. I mean, like I can't walk because if I walk past that 17-year-old African-American kid, he's going to stab me and take my purse. I mean, that, that was, they didn't grow up with hate. It was just ignorance. So, so that's a lot of what it is. But what, what I would say to us is this, and what I said to my friend is, let's, let's make a difference here because once our church starts looking like the community, once we start going, we have as many Hispanic and African-American and Asian and whatever cultures 
in our church, that are in our community, then gives us a platform to say to people, this is how you love people well, and this is how you love like Jesus loves. Until then, let's not worry about our social media posts because a social media post and all of our rhetoric is all the knowledge and none of the doing. You know, if, you, if you haven't invited somebody that you don't know that looks different than you, that has a different culture than you, to lunch, to find out their story and where they're from and how they see the world and why they voted differently than you voted, that, that's not going to make the change that our public talk or our social media presence, we think it does. That's the difference between knowing and doing. And it's the same, same thing for us spiritually. We can't just know the word and say, here's what the Bible says, if we're not doing it. So when it comes to growing our faith, doing, not knowing is the most important thing. Now, I want you to look at the rest of this passage of Scripture. Let's go back and we'll read verse 24 again. Everyone, everyone then, who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is such an apropos verse for this week. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. You know, you know what we're seeing here? Walking with Jesus does not mean it's rainbows and sunshine all the time. Storm comes, floods came, winds blew, they beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, two groups of people, they both hear, they both know. The second group who hears these words of mine and does not do them, that is the, that is the thing that separates them, is who is going to do it, that does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. So Jesus says, you want your house on the rock? You want to be able to withstand tragedy? You want to be able to withstand difficult times? You want to be able to grow up? Your foundation has to be on the rock, and Jesus gives us the way to do that. The difference between the two people is not what they heard, but what they did. Some people took the message of Scripture, and they applied it to their life, and they figured out how their life could become a picture of this, and not just their brain or their knowledge. So, let me give you a couple things maybe this week to process with your kids, process on your own. Because again, the most important thing is not, not what, you, what you go and teach your kids. It's what you do with this passage of Scripture and what your kids and your neighbors and your other family members and people you work with see. You living out the gospel. I'm going to give you some things that we can do in order to do. Okay, here's one thing. and I, let, me, let me preface this real quick too. You don't have to pick one of these things. If the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you about, hey, this is what your next step is, you go do that. I'm just trying to give you some things to think through, pray through, so you see something, the Holy Spirit goes, man, that's, that's you, to make it easier for you. So here, here's the first thing. We, we need to start reading Scripture with application in mind. Okay, so last week, and we talked about making a commitment to being in the Word. I've printed off, there's August devotionals back there, there's September devotionals, I can print as many you could lose one every week. I can print you a new one. Put some down in the classrooms. I, don't, I only print like 60 because I don't want to waste paper. So, you know, if you wanted one, didn't get one. I, I emailed one to a guy that, uh, this week, a guy that I was talking to. So he's got the PDF version in his email. He could print it off or do whatever. But we take that and we start reading the Word. We start sitting down and doing what we've talked about now for the last three or four weeks as parents, 
driving our students to the word so that they know scripture. But now here is the next step. Here's how we know that we start growing is we start reading with application in mind. We don't just read and go, yep, nope, I got that. Sounds good. Never heard that verse. But we read it and we go, okay, now what? What do I do with this? So here's a great spiritual discipline to practice. You sit down for 10 or 15 minutes every morning, whenever you can find time to get into the Word, and you read in September, we're going to start in Matthew. You read that passage of Scripture. You might use the devotional helps on the side. And before you close up that Bible, you ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with this today? And you listen. And it's going to get awkward. And sometimes you're going to sense the Holy Spirit speak immediately. And you're going to go, this is what I need to do. And you're probably going to go, but I don't want to do that. But, that's, but you're, you're going to need to because that's how we grow our faith. We do it. There's going to be other times where you sit silently and you keep praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? I, I, I see the verse. I read it. It makes sense. How does it apply to me? And there may come a time as you've prayed through it for a while that you, you walk out without something. We read and we go, we go, Lord, what do I do with this? And if he doesn't speak after a while, you might just go, okay, Lord, I'm ready. I got to go to work. I do whatever, but I'm going to meditate on this passage of Scripture. I'm going to think about it through the rest of the day, Lord, so if something shows up during my day that I need to do to apply this, it's going to be on my mind so I'll know. And there may be some days where you get to the end of the day and go, man, I don't know. But if you will create that habit to, to read with application in mind, I'm not reading to know. I'm not reading because I made a commitment to read through the Bible in a year and I've got to check all the boxes. I'm reading to know and to apply. You will start seeing spiritual growth, assuming that you do what God tells you to do when you read. So we start reading with this application in mind. Here's the second thing. Take notes and write it to do. I'll tell you this. Your kids go to school and probably at high school, take notes. When they get to college, they're going to take notes, right? Right? I mean, you'd expect them to. If you're going to pay tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars for them to, to get a career in engineering or nursing or law, don't you expect when you're paying that money when they're sitting down with a professor who's giving them instruction and teaching them that they're writing some things down? I mean, I, I would. I did it that way. If I'm paying for my kids and, and I get a, you know, a little view into their life and I'm like, what do you learn? They're like, well, I just go to class. I just, I sit back and soak it in. I'm going to sit back and smack it in is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm paying a lot of money. You better be writing some stuff down. You better be learning it. You better be studying it because you are going to what? Have to apply it. That's the whole, whole purpose. So why in the world would we walk in to a Sunday morning worship service here, conference, whatever, where we might have not lessons on how to be better engineers, where we might have a word from God that changes who we are forever. And sit back, and I'm just going to sit back and soak it in. Now, full disclosure, half of the time on Sunday mornings, I leave my journal at home and forget to bring it to take notes. So you'll see me and go, well, where's his journal? Probably left at home. But I keep it out because I try to remember, and when I bring it, I try to remember to bring it, I'm writing things down. And now I'm writing things down as I'm listening to a sermon, but there's a regular basis, and you can see it in my journal, there'll be a star because the star is, here's what I need to do. Because many times the Lord says something to me 
through a pastor, through a conference speaker, as I'm writing some notes, and I go, yep, that's the next step for me. I need to ask this person this question. I need to do this with my kids. I need to read this. I need to, this is my next step. And, and my journal, I have star, star, star. And on Thursday mornings, I try to go back through that journal and, or books that I've read and look at the application points. Write it down. Start taking notes. Let your kids, I mean, can you imagine what it will say to your kids if on Thursday morning, you ask them, hey, you're having a spiritual conversation about Collide the night before, and you're talking to them, and you open up a journal, and you go, well, this is what, this is what really stuck out to me. Think that's not going to carry some weight to your teenager? And they go, man, my mom or my dad, they're taking this seriously. It doesn't mean that when they're a sophomore, they're going to go, well, I want to be like my mom and dad and get a journal too. But you know what's going to happen when they're an adult? They're going to be taking notes on what they're learning. We're taking notes on Scripture. Let's start doing it. So here, here, let me give you an, ex- an example. Again, talked about school and things like that. So several years ago, I got a CHL, concealed handgun license. And I, am not, I did not grow up like in a gun culture. I, my dad's military, but we didn't really have guns or things like that. My biological dad is like country as can be. He had more guns than we had in our house. I, I think I fired a gun when I was like eight and like with my dad, and I, like it put me on my butt, and I was like, that's good. You know, pretty powerful. So went hunting with some buddies a couple of times, but honestly, it was like, I spent a whole Saturday getting a hunting license? Pass. I don't, you know, I'd rather watch football. And so not a gun person, but it's thought, hey, when we go out to youth camp and we go down to mission trips and things like that, emergency response is sometimes pretty far out, and to just have an extra level of safety for kids, went and got that CHL. Because I don't know anything about guns, I've gone out to my father-in-law's and shoot, and gone to the shooting range a couple of times, I don't, I don't know how to clean a gun. I know you need to. I don't know how. So I called a buddy of mine over who was ex-Air Force Special Forces and been uh, Williams or Travis County Sheriff's Deputy, and I said, hey, come, can you come and show me how to do this? So he came to my house, and, and uh, we got, he brought a gun. I got my gun, and we took it all apart, and he, I mean, he told me what I needed to buy. And so as he's teaching me how to clean it, like, like in reality, I thought, cool, take the, take the bullets out, take the magazine out, and like you get like a Q-tip and oil that thing up. He's having me take it apart, like I got springs and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, man. So I said, hold on for a second. So you know what I do? I go and get a notebook, and I start writing down step by step, because it's the only time I've ever done it. And so I'm writing down step by step of what to do and with what thing, because I know I'm going to have to do it again. And I know that cleaning a gun the correct way and the safe way is very important. And I didn't want to just sit back and go, I think he did it this way. So I've got detailed notes because it matters. So if this matters, maybe taking detailed notes, thinking to do. What do I do with what I've heard? Here's the third thing. Partner up with someone. And what I mean by that is this. You can take notes and you can star things, but your growth your application will go to a different level when every week or so you have a standing text message appointment with somebody or you've got a breakfast or a lunch with somebody and you ask this question, what are you doing this week to apply the word? If you know that's coming, you're going to start looking for an answer. And if you know the week after that, they're going to go, hey, tell me what did you do what you said the Lord is calling you to do? And you're asking them that same question 
called accountability, you will start finding yourself growing more because now somebody else knows what the Lord is doing in your life and it's holding you accountable to putting it into action. So we read with application. We take notes and we write our to-dos down and we find somebody that helps us apply it. Lane Jones said this quote. I love this. He said, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. The value of paint is found in its application. Isn't that right? That's where we're at this week. That doing is more important than knowing.